Welcome to the Kid Men Podcast with Dr. Val and Dr. Virginia, where we talk about everything Kid Men. And pull back the curtain on some of the surprises and challenges in children's ministry that nobody prepares you for. I'm Dr. Val, and together we have over 45 years of experience in children's ministry. I'm Dr. Virginia. Valerie and I met over 10 years ago in our doctoral program at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We are excited to share with you all the great stuff that we have picked up over the years. We want to minister to you, the children's minister. Welcome, friends. Thank you so much for joining us today. We're excited that you're here. Dr. Virginia, is it fall in Florida? That's my big question today. <laughs> you know what? We we have been so fortunate this year in the five and a half, almost six years that we've been here. This is the first year that we've gotten what I felt like was a for real fall. Oh, and I am loving it. <laughs> I'm loving it. So I'm loving the crisp air, you know, the chilly mornings. I'm loving all that stuff. So it's my it's, favorite time of the year. I think I've, I'm sure I've said that before uh, when we've been talking, but I love the cooler <laughs> temperatures. Uh-huh. I love the colors of the fall. I love being able to wear sweaters and cozy clothes. And I love, um, it's it's just been fun being able to sit outside, you know, during mm-hmm. the day to read and just enjoy just this fall weather here in Tennessee has been very great. We've, we've had a lot of fun with it. So I have my candles burning and I've got, you know, all of the fall stuff going. And before we started recording, we were talking about candy corn. Cause I was like, I've got my little, my little vice (laughs) right here. My little, you know, little mindless snacking treat right here with us. And cause Valerie and I, we found out we are both candy corn people. I know some people I hate candy, candy corn, corn, but we I are know. candy corn supporters, enthusiasts. <laughs> I am. And I like I, I like the plain classic mm-hmm. candy mm-hmm. corn. Just that it's my it's one of my favorite treats anytime, but especially in the fall, I like to have it around. So yeah. Yes, I, I know that yes. that's a controversial topic. <laughs> Uh, but it leads right into our maybe controversial topic for today, <laughs> classroom management. Oh, classroom management we'll is definitely a controversial topic. It, I think it doesn't really matter how long you have been serving or how long you have been volunteering or how long mm-hmm. you have been teaching. There are always going to be people who have varying views on yeah. how to manage a classroom, how to follow through on discipline, how to make sure that your kids are safe and that they're having fun and that they are engaging. But I hopefully today we're just going to go over things that we have found that have been very successful in our ministry. And we are very quick to say we don't have all the answers. We are not perfect in our classrooms by any means. And there are a lot of different situations and different situations call for different reactions. And we understand that. But these are things that we have found that have been the most beneficial to us as we have served in a classroom, as we've led classrooms, as we've worked with teachers. Yeah, because if you can have a general strategy, a general plan, a general routine with your kids, um, then a lot of that goes a long way in making the whole process sort of smoother for everyone. And just like you said, there's always going to be 
unusual circumstances or something that you've never had to deal with before. And all of a sudden (laughs) here it's happening, Uh (laughs) you know, kids who would never are coming in, nevering like they've nevered before. (laughs) It really, it it is. It's just, well, you know, when you work with children, you never know what you're going to get. You never know what's going to happen. You never know what you're going to face. And it's exciting, but it's also challenging. Mm -hmm. And I think that a lot of these things that we're going to talk about today are things that I learned really early when I was a classroom teacher. And So many people think that as a teacher, you have to come in a certain way, or there's certain things that you have to do to be able to control the classroom. And I think that most people are surprised at the things that we can do in our classrooms to make it productive and successful. One of the things that you will hear us say probably over and over and over is that student engagement is your first line of defense in classroom management. And we have another podcast episode about student engagement. Um, And it's actually our most popular episode. Um, And so we have a whole episode on that. We're going to touch on a few high points here. Um, Mm -hmm. But the very first most foundational thing that if you can keep kids engaged, learning, they're busy <laughs> learning, then they're going to not be trying to trying to find something else to keep them occupied. Um, and so if we can start with a foundation of student engagement, mm-hmm. um, then, then we can build on that from there. Yes. I think if a teacher is prepared with the activities that you're going to be doing for the time that you're with them and you have some extra things planned and you go into the classroom with the goal of engaging the students and making it a successful learning time, then that takes care of a lot of any kind of classroom disruptions. Because we've said this before, if you have a break in the classroom where you are not engaging the students, then they are going to find something to engage with themselves. And it's not always something positive. Yep. And so that's why we have to make sure that we take that responsibility of having a plan and and being prepared and helping students to be successful when we walk into the room. And so I think when we walk into the classroom and we set realistic expectations, you know, we only have these kids for an hour or two a week. There is only so much guidance that we are going to be able to give them during that time. And kids walk in with different learning styles and different family dynamics and different expectations. And so I think that sometimes we just have to remind ourselves when we walk in that we need to be realistic about what's going to be able to be accomplished in our hour. Absolutely. And, you know, that reminds me to piggyback off of what you're saying reminds me of something that I heard you say, and I think I've said it in other episodes that I heard you say um, years ago when we first met in our doctoral program, that whoever gets in the classroom first sets the tone for the rest of the time. So all that more encouragement to be prepared, be early. That way we are the first ones in the room setting the tone for the rest of the time with our children. Mm -hmm. When we come in calm and prepared, then the kids feed off of that. And Mm -hmm. we can't take 
their behavior personally. And mm-hmm. so we have to to come in with that mindset of we are calm. We know what we're doing today. We are going to stay engaged. We're going to have fun. These are the things we're going to accomplish. Absolutely. And, and whenever we are preparing for student engagement, we want to keep in mind attention spans, which we talk about all the time, mm-hmm. one minute per year of life. Mm-hmm. So we are planning our lesson in five-minute increments for kindergartners or seven-minute increments for second graders, for example. So we want to keep in mind those attention spans. Mm -hmm. We want to keep in mind learning styles, teaching two different learning styles. And so we touch on that in our student engagement episode, but we are also doing a series of episodes on different learning styles and lots of ideas and strategies and resources Mm -hmm. for teaching two different learning styles to, again, keep kids engaged, keep them focused on the learning Um, Keep them busy learning in their preferred learning styles within their attention spans. That way there's less of a temptation to misbehave or find something to do. Right, right. And when we are prepared, when we have those extra activities ready Mm -hmm. to fill any downtime, if something goes too Mm -hmm. quickly, if we are ready to offer choices to help them make good decisions, then that's just going to get you started off on the right foot from the minute that you walk into the classroom room. But we say all that to say this, you can have the most prepared material. You can be completely on your game. You can be ready when you walk in and and have everything in place. And there are still going to be some behavior challenges because they are kids and that's just going to happen. So hopefully we're going to be able to hit on a few things to help keep you focused on how you can handle some of those behavior challenges when they pop up, even in the most organized and prepared classrooms. Y'all, someday it is just a full moon. It's like a full super moon or whatever. (laughs) And you're just like, what? These kids have lost their mind. (laughs) Yes, yes, completely. And it's so easy to react because one, it's just our natural inclination to have that response of anger with anger or have that response of panic with with disruption. One of the things that we just have to remind ourselves is that anger never solves or stops anger. Like we, mm. we have to remember that we yeah. don't respond with anger to yeah. anger. That's never going to end well. Yeah. And so we have to remind ourselves This is how I'm going to respond when inevitably there is some sort of crisis in my classroom. Not if, but when. When. Yes. Yes. So one of the things, so after we are, you know, in the right headspace, we've prepared to get students engaged. One of the things, very foundational things that I do weekly is repeating expectations. Whatever that looks like for you, um, I recommend keeping them to the point, simple, very few of them. If you have the 25 commandments of your classroom, kids aren't going to remember all that. No, no. (laughs) But to have a few very simple expectations Mm -hmm. for your room, you can call them rules, you can call them whatever, and repeat them frequently. That way it is always out there before the kids what you expect of them because Mm -hmm. kids, they want to do well. They want Mm -hmm. to succeed. 
And so we want to make sure they are clear on what those benchmarks of success look like. Mm -hmm. You know, quiet lips, hands to ourselves, walking feet. And so we want them to be clear on what success is and what Mm -hmm. our expectations are. Because it's there are few things as frustrating as being held to a standard that you didn't even know about. Oh, yeah. And I think we've all experienced that our expectations yeah. weekly. Yes. It it is very frustrating. And I think that sometimes we walk into a, a church classroom, especially, and we think that kids know how they should behave. And what we have to remind ourselves is that every home is different. Mm-hmm. Every parenting style is is different. Yes. Um the culture, Their teachers at school are different. Are, oh yeah. yeah. And, and and there's you know, and especially if you have kids that are homeschooled or mm-hmm. maybe you're working with a preschool class where they haven't started school yet. Yeah. And if their parents are not the type of parents that have specific rules in their home, if their culture is very different than say maybe your own might be. Mm-hmm. then you can't expect that kids are automatically going to walk into a classroom knowing how to behave mm-hmm. because it may be the first classroom they've ever been in, right. or it just could be a classroom that's very different from anything that they've experienced before. Yep. And so I think that that's why your, your, your idea of having the rules posted and reviewing them on a regular basis is really important mm-hmm. because Kids do, they thrive on repetition. We talk about that a lot, that they appreciate repetition, that they, they learn from it and it's gives them the opportunity to be reminded because again, like I said, they're only with you for an hour, maybe two once a week, if they're there that often, because a lot of times kids will be in and out and they're not even there, you know, that often with you. And so they need to be reminded of what your expectations are. And one of my favorite things is at the very beginning of the year, whenever your calendar year starts, when your kids come in, when your classroom is set up, that you take the time to create the rules with the kids if they're old enough Mm -hmm. for you to be able to do that. Mm -hmm. And they can do that at a really young age, but basically you just, you know, get at the whiteboard and ask them, what are the things that you like about our classroom? What do you think is important for us to remember? And usually you can take all of those things and build them, like you said, into just a few simple rules, Mm -hmm. you know, keeping your hands to yourself, saying kind words, being kind to your friends, you know, those a lot of specifics that the kids may come up with. Like, you know, I don't want somebody to hit me that will fit broad categories. category, So that you can kind of go over with them and help them understand that's what it means to be kind to our friends, like, Mm -hmm. or, you know, those, those types of things. And so it gives them a chance to feel a part of creating Mm -hmm. the atmosphere in your classroom. But it also gives you that opportunity to remind them, remember the rules that we created on our first day, you know, and it's a good way to, to kind of call back to that. And so I think it's just really important for us to remember. It's always great to have classroom rules. Like, for example, there were some years where I would have groups of kids that when we did prayer requests, everybody just gave their simple prayer requests and we were able to pray and move on. But there were always some years where I had 
that one yes. child that wanted to give me 25 prayer requests and wanted yes. to, you know, for every little tiny, like, and, yes. and it, you know, and there's a point, it's not that I want to discourage anyone from, yes. praying, but yes. sometimes it can be really disruptive because it pulls yes. the kids out of. So sometimes we had to create mm-hmm. special rules for certain years, like maybe, you know, that, that you can share two of your prayer requests in class or that, you know, or if I have a child that speaks out a lot without asking permission or that interrupts a lot, then maybe we'll create a rule where we raise our hands before we, you know, before we speak. And so those are, those are things too. Like I said, every group of children you have are going to be different. Every dynamic is different. And so sometimes you do have to be a little bit more creative in things one year that you don't have to be in the next, (laughs) but it's really trying to remind yourself that kids are are unique and, and classrooms are unique. And so we find the most positive ways that we can to help them understand and be a part of this group that you have. I can't blame the children for things that they don't have control over. Mm, yes. Um, If they are always late to class, they did not drive to the church building. Mm -hmm. If they had donuts and Mountain Dew for breakfast, (laughs) they didn't purchase that from the grocery store. If they come in with a cup of coffee, (laughs) they did not stop and get it. You know, I have to remind myself sometimes because there'll be things that kids will come in doing that can be so frustrating. Yes. And we don't want to take that out on the kids because that's not their fault. If they didn't bring their Bibles when you ask them to, you know, honestly, you know, do we expect a first or second grader to always remember those things? You know, it's the parents that tend to rush or to forget. So we just need to remind ourselves that we don't want to punish the child for something that they had no control over. You know, if they miss a Sunday, it's not their fault typically that they're not there. And so we have to remember that kids don't have that kind of control over everything in their lives when we are looking at certain expectations that we set for kids. Right. Absolutely. Like whenever you have a kid who comes in and maybe says something really ugly to another child or uses a curse word with another child or, or, you know, in your contacts at church mm-hmm. and yes, we need to address that behavior and be very clear that that's not appropriate and that we're not going to talk that way, but also recognize mm-hmm. that the child is reflecting their environment. Right. They are, you know, saying things and this is coming from something that they have seen or heard or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I think we need to show some grace in the sense that, that, you know, kids, kids are little sponges right. and whenever they get squeezed, whatever they've sopped up is going to come out. Right. Right. And so we need to be aware that, that this isn't necessarily even I, the child speaking for him or herself, they're, they're almost sort of in some ways parroting what they're hearing. (laughs) Kids are going to pick up things at home, at Mm -hmm. school, from television. It's like you said, they are sponges Mm -hmm. and they do pick up on everything. And sometimes Mm -hmm. they say certain things because they're trying to get attention and they don't get attention Mm -hmm. other places. Or they're trying to, you know, to be dramatic or, mm-hmm. or they are just very comfortable with that wording or those words because they or it's hear like it they all the time. are experiencing frustration or anger and that's right. what they see 
Right. Whenever the people around them experience frustration or right. anger, this is what is said or this right. is what happens. And so that's yeah. being and reflected have, in that behavior. Right. And over the years, I have found if you react in a very shocked or mm-hmm. overly exaggerated way, mm-hmm. if you seem offended and make a huge, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said, you know, that Mm -hmm. honestly doesn't help the situation. It Mm -hmm. tends to make the situation worse Mm -hmm. because the kids then see that they have received a big reaction. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we have to remember about children is that sometimes they are so desperate for the attention and for that interaction with someone that they will take a negative reaction in the same way that they take a positive reaction, that Mm -hmm. they're going to do more to get that because they Mm -hmm. feel like they're getting that response and having that relationship that they're craving. They don't Mm -hmm. understand that they're really craving the positive relationship. They're just craving any kind of interaction. And if they think that they can get a rise from that, then they're going to continue to do that. And mm-hmm. so that's why we have to be prepared in our minds to to not be super quick to judge and not right. be super quick to react in a negative way. If we can stay calm and, and, and respond in a calm way, it's really surprising how much easier it is to help the child understand why something wasn't appropriate when mm-hmm. they're not getting that response that they are thinking that they're looking for. Mm-hmm. So we want to have simple, clear expectations that we communicate frequently and um, be aware that not every family or every child will be accustomed to our expectations. Um, One of our, again, initial responses to, you know, misbehavior or something happening, you know, a child disobeying is redirection. Um, you know, particularly if they're getting off tasks and, and they're, you know, trying to, they're getting distracted, um, or they're again, doing something we don't want them to do. We want to redirect them to do something positive. And so, you know, a good example is if a child is up in the classroom running around, we don't just tell them to stop running. We have to tell them what to do. Jimmy, please come sit on your bottom in your chair. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that being very intentional to not just say what not to do, right. redirect them to a positive behavior to do. Right. Um, because I do see teachers doing that. Um, there's a child running and the teacher is getting frustrated. She's like, stop running, stop running. And she was getting frustrated. Uh-huh. And, you know, I just kind of stepped in. I'm like, okay, hey, Jimmy, go sit on your bottom right there, you know, and so kids can follow that directive much more easily than they can try to figure out what you want them to do instead of running. So just tell them. Right. Because we know that when kids hear us repeat instructions over and over and over and over again, they've stopped listening a long time ago or they would have stopped when you said it the first time. So getting louder doesn't help, you know, you know, because you'll see teachers that do, like you said, that get very frustrated and they just start yelling it over and over and over again. And it's like, no, that's that's not going to help, you know having him go sit and do another activity, have something else for him to be doing once he sits, you know, have that plan for what they're going to do next. That's what's going to do the best to redirect them into the next Mm -hmm. activity and stop sort of that freestyle 
we're just going to find something to do with our time activity. And that's, you know, typically. So if let's say that you're not quite ready and Jimmy is running, then why don't you give Jimmy a responsibility? Mm -hmm. Hey, Jimmy, come here and can you put a piece of paper at every chair around the table? Yes. Or can you set the crayons in the middle of the table for me? If we can have kids that are not engaging in what we're doing, or let's say they don't want to engage in what we're doing. I've often had kids say to me, like when we were getting ready to play a game, well, I don't want to play. They really honestly want to be a part. Again, a lot of times they're just looking for that negative attention. Mm -hmm. But then if I can't get somebody to engage, then I'll often offer them an extra responsibility. Okay, Mm -hmm. well then, Jimmy, if you don't want to play this game, can you hand out all the balls to all the play, you know, like, or, you know, give them something to do so that they can be a part I never force kids to participate in something. Mm -hmm. I don't think that ever ends well either. And it becomes a power struggle and power struggles never end well. Yeah. But if you have those alternate things that they can do, well, Jimmy, if you don't want to play this game, then I've got puzzles at the table. You can sit and work a puzzle, like giving them Mm -hmm. those options of things that they can do. And again, that's redirecting them so that they're not causing disruption, but you're giving them choices and options of things that they can do other than causing disruption with the rest of the group. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's, that's exactly, you know, my next thought was like positive choices. So giving them options between two acceptable things, Mm -hmm. you know, you're saying, all right, we're all going to go sit on our bottoms in a circle, you know, for our story time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, little Jimmy's like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) And so you can give him two different options. Okay, Jimmy, if you don't want to sit in the circle, you can stand right here or you can sit on that chair. Mm -hmm. Um, But whenever kids, you know, outright refuse to do something, give them two options that you are equally okay with. Right. Um, right. That way they're not trying to, you know, come up with their own option of what they want to do instead that you may not approve of, right. but letting them choose. One of the things that we've talked about before is a, a lot of times I would allow kids, especially if they have special needs, but in general, if I have a disruptive child in a classroom, mm-hmm. I am going to try to have something on hand that I know that that child enjoys that will keep him or her participating Mm -hmm. with the group causing the least amount of disruption. Mm -hmm. And that might mean giving them some Play-Doh that they can sit and move in their hands or a color page that they can color while we're telling Mm -hmm. the Bible story or, or let them sit and do a puzzle at a table quietly while we're doing the story. And I've had teachers over the years say, well, then what's happening then is they're getting to do something the rest of the kids don't get to do. But quite honestly, most of the time, the kids want to do your activity and they want Jimmy to stop disrupting that activity. And they're smart enough to know if Jimmy is sitting at the table working a puzzle, then the rest of us get to play the game. We get to do that. He's not going to tear the head off my doll. He's not going to rip my art piece (laughs) into a million pieces. He is going to you know, engage in that. And then we can engage with the teacher. So we want to make sure that it's, it's not, we're not asking Jimmy to dance or sing or run around and make noises to disrupt the other activity. We're just finding something that we know Mm -hmm. will allow him to be able to participate Mm -hmm. with the group Mm -hmm. in a non-disruptive way. 
And for me, I found that those kids will typically, if Jimmy can sit and do a puzzle, if he mm -hmm. likes puzzles and he'll sit right. and do a puzzle, he'll listen to the yes. Bible story while yes. he's doing the puzzle. Yes. It's just, he needs that extra stimulation of moving with his hands to be able to focus and to concentrate. Absolutely. Cause that's, what's best for Jimmy. Exactly what you're saying. That's what's best for Jimmy and for the class. So the class can continue learning and doing their activities. And you're right, because trying to force Jimmy to participate, he will be learning less. Right. <laughs> if he, even if he is doing the same things that everyone else is doing, if he is being forced to do it against his will, he doesn't enjoy it. Right. Um, versus letting Jimmy, just like what you said, kind of, um, you know, do the activities that he is comfortable with. Mm -hmm. and will help him stay focused and engaged. Right. Because mm -hmm. like I said, power struggles never end well for the teacher. <laughs> they never do. And so it's it's better if you have these options in your pocket to be able to help you. And I think part of that too is when we do those little things to redirect, when we have special signals that we use in the classroom to get attention, mm -hmm. you know, for me, it's the clapping the rhythm. That, mm -hmm. that for me has always been the easiest thing. If I'm in a room and I'm trying to redirect, if I'm trying mm -hmm. to get the attention, I stop and do this. And almost every child in the room will stop and do that. You don't even have to tell them that that's your signal. They just know. And then usually I'll do it a few more, you know, just so that they get to, to keep doing it for a little while because they do like it. They enjoy that. <laughs> and so that was always my signal to redirect. But uh, people do it in lots of different ways. Some people snap. Some people have the kids freeze. Some people do, you know, there's a billion redirection signals that you yeah. can do. But the idea is that you have something in your back pocket that you can pull out when you need it. And for me, it's clapping the rhythm. And that's what I do in, in, in nine times out of 10, really almost 10 times out of 10, they will stop and look because they, they're, them back they're in. you know, it gets them back attending to you. Like your attention is, is what it redirects to. And so when you have those little things that you can do, it's going to be huge in your classroom because it's going to help them. But you have to have that next thing to redirect to. Yes. You can't use that and then expect them just to sit quietly while you go gather your materials or yeah. while you figure out what you're going to be <laughs> yes. doing next. Yes. They need that next item ready to go if you're going to want to bring them back in and redirect them. And, so. and, you know, the funniest one of those that I've heard, I've never used, and I just saw it on the Internet. Um, but this was supposedly an elementary school teacher who would say, hear ye, hear ye. And all of her kids would repeat back, all hail the queen. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> you find what works for one. you. <laughs> you find what works for the kids. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's truly just figuring out what it is that you can do to get their attention and to help them sort of stop thinking about the negative that they're doing. Yeah. And really focus in on what next positive you have for them to do. And a lot of that has to do with just how you are setting up your environment. Mm. You know, have you made sure that there's no distractions? You know, if there's a huge piano in the classroom that keeps taking the kids' attention away, does yes. that piano have to be there? Or can you cover it with yes. a tablecloth or do something yes to help the kids understand that it's out of sight, out of mind sometimes. Yes. So yes. it's finding those ways that you can eliminate distractions so that you are not constantly having 
to redirect that because yes. again, it that's taking up precious time that you have to teach every mm-hmm. time you have to draw them away from a specific bookshelf or certain toys or certain mm-hmm. things. So talking with your children's minister, your preschool minister, finding out if there's ways that you can adapt your classroom to be more successful is, is really huge, but it's, it's finding ways to redirect from those distractions that are going to really help you a whole lot. And, you know, that's one thing too, whenever we talk about one of my tips for teachers that I always like to share is I always like to teach from the most boring corner of the room. Mm-hmm. I always like to teach to where I can see the door, but the kids' backs are to the door, if possible, right. to any windows. That way, I am the most interesting thing <laughs> for right. them to look at during the teaching time. Right. Um, right. Trying to set up the classroom, just the just like what you're saying, set up the physical space in that way to where, you know, the the greatest distractions are out of sight, out of mind. Right. And then the most interesting thing to look at is the teacher. Right, right. Well, and another thing, a lot of times kids will bring in distractions with them. They'll bring toys from home. They'll bring things that are disruptive. And I learned something really early from a two-year-old classroom teacher years ago. She had this really special box that she made. She like had decorated it. It looked all pretty. And she had her name on it. And so Uh she, you know, she had like, it was like Miss Virginia's box, you know, it was Uh like a special box. And her rule for the classroom was that if you brought something from home, Mm -hmm. that it went into Miss Virginia's box and it would Mm -hmm. stay there until the end of class time. And then they Mm -hmm. could have that item back. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that there's always exceptions. If you do have kids with special needs, if there is special situations where they have something, if they have a blanket or a stuffed animal or something that they're going to keep to themselves, right? then that's one thing. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you don't ever want to force a child to give up a comfort item if you can tell they are very attached to that comfort item or their parents have told you they're very attached to that comfort item. But I'm talking about if you have Jimmy coming in with Buzz Lightyear and he's letting all of his friends play with Buzz Lightyear and he's making noise with them and he keeps interrupting, then Buzz might be a good item to go in Miss Virginia's box until the end of the class time. And so, you know, it's those kinds of things that you can try to eliminate those distractions. Mm -hmm. And that way too, they know it's somewhere safe. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times if they just set it down, another child will grab it and they, they're they yes. afraid somebody will take it. So yes. having that box in a place that the other kids can't reach where it's safe that they know. And then it will help you remember at the end of class time, too, to make sure they take it back. To you, open the you box. Check your box yes. every time at the end of the time. Yeah. But it's just that idea of you finding your way of how whatever that mm-hmm. little distraction is, finding your own ways that you're redirecting to help the kids to be able to focus on the Bible lesson for the day. So one thing that um, we also want to do in our classrooms and be cognizant of is um, our use of verbal affirmation. Um, And so you may have already kind of heard of the concept of, you know, we want to praise good behavior more frequently than we correct misbehavior. So if we can acknowledge and thank the kids who are doing the right thing, who are sitting on their bottom, who are listening quietly with quiet ears. that kind of helps us um, one with with those kids who may do these negative behaviors as like a s- attention seeking behaviors. So, right. so if kids can see that the positive behavior is what gets more attention and focus from right. you and more appreciation, um, then that can encourage other kids to 
engage in this positive behavior as well. Right. Um, so we do want to acknowledge, praise, thank kids for their good behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I would, I would encourage teachers to take that a step further as well, because while yes, we do want to praise good behavior. Mm-hmm. I think anytime we can also identify and appreciate mm-hmm. intrinsic attributes about kids, right. um, acknowledging and recognizing things that make them unique, um, mm-hmm. things that are, you know, a part of sort of their personality. Right. Um, oh, Jenny, you are so creative and you draw the mm-hmm. most beautiful pictures. I love it. Right. Oh, Billy, you are always so quick to welcome everyone into our classroom and you're such right. a good friend and you're so friendly. Right. Um, that is so wonderful. Right. So identifying attributes of kids and attributes of their personality mm-hmm. that go beyond just their behaviors. Right. Um, because that is good to praise good behavior. Right. But we want to go beyond that because we want kids to feel seen and known right. and appreciated for who they are, right. not only what they do. Right. And so so I would put those two things as like, you know, two sides of the same coin um, of acknowledging good behavior, but then also acknowledging kids for who they are and their intrinsic attributes as well. Because even the kid who misbehaves constantly, you can still find good attributes about him or her. So we want to show that we, of course, appreciate good behavior in kids, but we want to show that we value who they are as a person and that we appreciate who they are intrinsically because they because right. everyone wants to be known and loved and valued for who we are. And so and so we want to show that to kids as well. Right. Um, because right. even, you know, every kid, even the kids who misbehave all the time, identify those positive attributes about them as a person that we can affirm. And I read something recently or heard something that I thought was really good. And so this was particularly in the context of kids with ADHD, but you could apply this to a whole myriad Mm -hmm. of situations where this person was saying ADHD kids are just magnets for correction. Right. And I thought, Ooh, that just like hit me. And so, you know, even, even if we do have to correct and redirect and offer positive choices, still acknowledging to that child that we see them, we value them, we love them for who they are as people and their intrinsic attributes um, can go such a long way in building relationships Mm -hmm. in really ministering to kids. Well, so, so affirming good behavior, but affirming them as people alongside that. It's so important because when we have students that are incredibly challenging we can have a hard time looking at them in a positive way because they are constantly challenging us and they're they're constantly you know provoking that response and god created each one of us individually with special and unique gifts and talents and one of the things i used to tell parents a lot of times is that if you have a child that has 
certain traits that are always frustrating you, God is someday going to use those special traits to do amazing things in his kingdom. Mm-hmm. It's just surviving to get to that point <laughs> that yes, can sometimes yes. be the challenge. And so yes. we have to remember, especially because we have such limited time to get to know these kids, mm-hmm. that they have these special and unique gifts. And you might say, oh, I have nothing positive I can say to that child. You do. You have something positive you can say to that child. You just have to spend some time to get to know that child. One Mm -hmm. of the blessings that I had when I was a classroom teacher is that I always kept several desks in the back of my classroom at the very first school where I taught so often during my free time as I would be walking through the halls, you know, after taking my kids to the library or wherever they were going. And I would see all of these kids just sitting in the hall. And usually I would engage and say, you know, so Tommy, what's going on? And it was usually that they were that child that was constantly disruptive and the teacher would just put them in the hallway because they just wanted them out of the classroom. And so I started setting up extra desks in my classroom and I told the teachers on my hall that taught Mm -hmm. in the same grade that I was teaching, anytime you have a student that you just need that break from, have them come across the hall and sit in my classroom and I would engage with them. I would have work for them to do. I would have something for them to do productive while the teacher took that time. But one of the things that I learned through those years, every single child that came and sat in those desks, they had something that they loved to do. They had a special Mm -hmm. passion. They had something unique about them. They had these amazing traits that teachers really didn't normally get to see because they were so disruptive because they were so desperate for any kind of attention. And so getting that opportunity to learn a little bit about them and to find those things that they enjoyed so that I could engage with them for the few minutes that they kind of took the break from their classroom helped me see that every child has something. Every child has something that they love and enjoy and that they want to engage with. Sometimes it just takes time to figure out what that thing is. Mm -hmm. And so that's, I think, where we go farther than just positive affirmations, but where we build relationships with kids Mm -hmm. so that we see them for who God created them to be, Mm -hmm. not just for the challenge that they are in our classroom for an hour. Amen. Well, Dr. Virginia, this has been fun. Talking about classroom management is a difficult topic, and there's so much that goes into developing your policies and your procedures. Everything is so individualized for your community and for your church and for your families. And it's such a big topic. We ended up talking a little too long about it. So we actually (laughs) turned this episode into two episodes. So you have just heard part one. And we hope that you can join us next week for part two. So as always, we thank you for joining us this week. We hope you have found this helpful. Please let us know in the comments, send us messages. We would love to hear your thoughts and even areas where you're struggling. We would love to try to meet you where you are and help you in any way that we can. We hope that you will like and subscribe, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.